The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening that your church can come together and worship you and rejoice in who you are and in what you've done. And Lord, I thank you for that last song that reminds us that we have a part to play, that you um, have sent your people to go to the nations and and tell them of you. And Lord, as we sit around your table tonight, I I pray that you would um, remind us again of your great love for us, of your um, love for the world, and the sacrifice that you've made, that we would be moved, Lord, and not just uh, moved emotionally here tonight, Lord, but that we'd leave this place with a a greater desire to serve you and to please you and to love you. And Lord, I pray that you just, uh, your Holy Spirit would work in this service and that it would be a sweet time of fellowship together. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Originally, we had planned a a different song to sing for the third song there, and um, we changed that this evening. And it's, it's wonderful how well the song that we chose, the one that we sang this morning, and we really chose it because we just love singing it this morning, um, but how well it worked with the message that I want to give to you tonight. And I know we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I wanted to um, remind us before we get into the Lord's table the purpose of this evening. This is a special time for our church. We celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church family, and it is a very simple act. If you think about it, all Christians, we come together Um, for this service, and we partake in unleavened bread, something so simple as bread. We eat that together. And then we partake in, we drink the fruit of the vine. Just simple, right? And yet it's such a powerful service, a wonderful reminder for us. And so I want to begin this evening by stressing the importance of what we're about to do and the reverence that I think we should have for it. If we could pretend for a moment that you do not know what we're gathered for this evening. And that I just open up the Bible, and I said, I want to tell you about a sin that is very grievous, a sin that is very terrible. And it's one that it's possible you're participating in without even knowing it. A sin that it's incredibly serious. In fact, it's so serious that when you look at the Bible, we see that this sin is so bad that Paul warns that if you do it, you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. And and there's a lot of people that think that means different things, but being guilty of the body and blood of Christ, I don't care what you think it means, it's not a good thing, right? It's bad. I think what he's talking about here is you have the same spirit as those who put him to death. You participate in this sin, and your, your mind, your thinking, is just like those who would put him to death. Just making a mockery of the cross. Then the second thing I told you about this sin and how bad it was, I said that you will reap the judgment of God upon your head because of your participation in this sin. And I mean, the judgment of God, it's got to be serious, right? It's funny when you listen to the culture, there's a lot of people that, that say things like, only God can judge me. I remember as a kid, it was really cool because I think a guy named Tupac, a rapper, had this, this tattooed over his back, only God can judge me. But that's not a good thing. I mean, I, I mean it, it is a good thing, but it's, God is a righteous and holy judge. If I judge you, then I stand up here and I say, hey, listen, this is what you're participating in. It's, it's sin. It's wrong. You shouldn't do it. God has a whole lot more power to judge you than I do, right? I mean, 
Man's judgment means nothing compared to God. And so if you participate in this sin, you will see the judgment of God. Uh, a girl, um, Jessa Duggar, you know the Duggar family? It's like 100 kids and counting or something. She wrote a blog this week that, that garnered a lot of attention from the media and, and otherwise. And she said, people are content to live on, in lying, cursing, pride, angerness, anger, bitterness, disrespecting of parents, lust, pornography, fornication, adultery, and other sexual sins. And if anyone tries to confront them, their attitude and response is, you live your life, I'll live mine, don't tell me what to do, only God can judge me. She went on to say, they don't even realize what they're saying. God's judgment isn't something to be taken lightly. It should scare you. Man's judgment is a thousand times lighter. Usually just a a voice of disapproval. But when unbelieving, sinful men die and stand before God, he justly condemns them to hell. That was very brave of this 19-year-old girl who's, who's got a lot of fame to say something so clear about the judgment of God. Judgment of God is something we shouldn't want. It's something that we should run from. And it's something that we're deserving of without the sacrifice of Christ. And so I, I told you this sin was so bad that you'd be guilty of the body and blood of Christ, that you'd have ju- God's judgment on your head. And it's so bad that there are people within this church who, ha- who are either very sick, they're, they're emotionally or physically ill because they have participated in the sin, or God has taken them home. They're, they've been killed because of their participation in sin. If I was to, to open a message and talk about something, a sin like this, I would imagine that most of you would be interested in knowing what this sin is so that you could avoid it, if at all possible. Because I can't think of too many sins in the Bible that are spoken of so seriously. Surely this would be a sin that we would all want to avoid. Do you know what that sin is? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 says, Wherefore, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the, word, of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Verse 29 says, For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Eating, partaking in the Lord's Supper unworthily. That's the sin that God judges so harshly for. And and the reason for that is that this is a serious time. This is not a time to be taken lightly. This is a time to show your utmost respect and reverence and to really think about what we're doing tonight. What does it mean to take the Lord's Supper unworthily? Or to take it in a, in, a worthy, in a worthy manner? How do we do that? I think we do it, first of all, in a way that does not show disrespect to the sacrifice that was made. When we come together, we ought to think, deeply think, about the sacrifice that was made, that, that Jesus died on our behalf. We should take it in a way that shows love and unity within the church. We should take it in a way that, does, that involves self-examination. We need to examine ourselves. If we're not doing these things, if we're not showing love and unity, if we're not examining ourselves, if we're not remembering and showing reverence to the sacrifice that was made, and th- then all of these things, we're doing it irrever- irreverently, and we're doing it in a way that is unworthy. This is the sin. This is what was going on in the church of Corinth. They were taking the Lord's Supper in, a, in an unworthy manner. And so what I want to do is give you just three quick points tonight. Um, 
I have them alliterated tonight, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think we I, I was talking about alliteration with somebody this week, and then I decided I'd try it. Um, it's probably going to not be helpful, but if I talk about it enough, you'll remember that I alliterated, and then you'll remember what the alliterated points are, maybe. We'll see. Number one is custom. We're going to talk about the custom of Lord's Supper. Number two, we're going to talk about the connotation of the Lord's Supper, okay, what it means. And number three, we're going to talk about the consequence of the Lord's Supper, what it's supposed to produce, what's supposed to happen. And so the custom is the tradition or the practice. What is the Lord's Supper? How do we do it? If I was to give just a really quick overview of, of how the Lord's Supper is supposed to work, I would start here. So this is how it came into practice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, Paul writes, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So he's speaking about the Lord's Supper, and he's saying, Corinthians, you're doing it so poorly that what you're doing cannot be considered the Lord's Supper. So he goes on to explain how this is supposed to work and what it's all about. They're coming together in a way where the rich are overeating and getting drunk, the poor are left with nothing to eat, they're famished, and they do not participate. And when you think about what it would have been like for the early church, it makes you wonder... Why we ever think our church has problems, right? Can you imagine coming to Lord's Supper where half of us were eating and getting drunk and eating the best food we can imagine, and the other half were shoved at the back of the church and nobody was permitted to eat? It'd be disgusting. I mean, I can't imagine a church being so ungodly. It, that is the, the, the exact opposite of the gospel that puts everybody on the same plane, that, that joins us all as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is what they're doing, and they're calling it the Lord's Supper. This isn't just something that is happening at their own little party. This is they've come together to remember his sacrifice, and they're doing the opposite of what they ought to be doing. And so this is what the church is doing. So he sets out to correct them. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I have received of the Lord that which I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And so Paul says... I received this of the Lord. He says, Jesus took bread. Verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we, we get this this tradition, this custom, this ordinance given to us by Christ the night before he's crucified. That he gives it to his disciples and then he tells them to continue to do it in the church over and over and over again throughout the generations all the way until this moment, this day, where the church is gathered here together to celebrate the ordinance that Christ gave that long ago. So it's something we do and we do it in remembrance of him. That is the, the custom What's the connotation? What's the meaning? What's the purpose of it? And I'll give you three things. The first purpose that I see when I read this is I see the purpose of fellowship. He says five times in these verses in 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together. And at one point he says, when you come together as a church. And so he's clearly speaking about the a church, uh, the group of body, the body of believers that have um, gathered themselves together in this place, coming together to take part in this together. And the problem that's going on in the church is this problem of, of gross, disgusting disunity. And so he's saying this isn't even the Lord's Supper because there's so, there's so much disunity here. What do we need to do? Well, what the Lord's Supper does is it makes us all partakers of the body and blood of Christ. And so we come together professing our faith together, 
as, as brothers and sisters of Christ, putting ourselves at the same place under the foot of the, at the foot of the cross together. So this is not something that we do as individuals. It's something that we're meant to do as a church. And it's to show unity and love in the church. The second reason, first one is fellowship. The second one is remembrance. He says here twice, do this in remembrance of me. You look to the book of Luke. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And there's something special about coming together and remembering the death of Christ as a church family. And now this is something that we should do constantly in our lives, right? As you live your life, I hope that on a daily basis, you remember the sacrifice of Christ for you. But it's such a sweet time when all of us are here, all of us under this roof, and we're all doing the same thing. We're all thinking about our sin. And thinking about how unworthy we are. We're all thinking about this incredible God who is so loving that he saw us as hopeless as we were. As helpless as we were. And decided to send his son to die in our place. To take the wrath that that each one of us deserved. And so we do this all together. We, We think about the cross. We imagine the cross. We imagine the suffering that Christ went through. And we remember what it means for us. And so we do this in remembrance. But it was interesting, I, I read this week that if we are to come together and what we do is we remember the facts of the day Christ was crucified. If, if what we do is we think about, okay, Jesus went through this, he died, then what we've done is as much as the devil could do. The devil could gather together in a place and could remember the facts of the crucifixion. He could play those out. And so we must, if we're going to do this properly, if we're going to do the remembrance, I think the way that it was designed to do, we must take it one step further, and we must be thankful. This is an essential aspect of what it means to remember and what we do together here. And so we all come together, and we all remember the facts, but we don't just do it because they happen, and they're historical, you know, a a story that was told a long time ago, events that happened. We do it because we must be thankful. And so Jesus designs this this ordinance so that we will, on a regular basis, come together and and just remember how thankful we must be. We live in a nation that is so ungrateful. We are taught to be ungrateful. it's, It's amazing when you get people that actually say thank you. Do you know what I've noticed, honestly, just in my time here at Maple City? That if you serve somebody and they don't become thankful, they're not thankful, eventually they become bitter toward you. And, and that's what happens. We're, it's ingrained in us not to be thankful. We think that everything is owed to us. How could we ever get to the point where we think that Jesus' death is owed to us? It's not. We, we, we deserved wrath. He owed us nothing. And so we must be thankful. And what this service should do is it should remind us how thankful we must be so we go out and live our lives that way, in a way of, that is showing gratitude to Christ. So we remember fellowship. We come together for fellowship, for remembrance, and finally for self-examination. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so we examine ourselves. And if we come to this service and you don't examine yourselves, you're going to have a very hard time making this a personal uh, act of worship as you come together. 
Because if, if all you're doing is thinking about general sin and all you're doing is thinking about this, the events of crucifixion day and you never get personal, you never look at yourself, you never look at your life, then what does it accomplish? We must be personal. And this is the part that no preacher can do for you, right? If I could tell the greatest story, the most vivid picture of the crucifixion and move you to tears and you never examined yourself, you would leave no differently. And so he's very clear here, we must examine ourselves. And so these are the, these are the reasons, the meaning of the Lord's Supper. But the last thing I want to focus on this evening is the proclamation that, that is supposed to happen. In verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You show the Lord's death till he come. And the word show there is katagelio, and it means literally to proclaim, to promulgate, to declare, to preach, to speak of, or to teach. And so the idea is, it's not just we're, we're doing something that kind of is just a picture of it, it's we're actually supposed to be here proclaiming it. And you think about that, why would you come to a service where you know we're going to have the Lord's Supper, Unless you believe the gospel, you'd accept the, the gospel, and now you wanted to show people around you that, that you did, right? And so this isn't a, a private thing that we do quietly. This is a public proclamation of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel with what we're doing this evening. We show the Lord's death till he come. And so we proclaim that we believe he died. We pro- proclaim that we believe he's coming again. And this is a, an opportunity for the church to participate in the proclamation of the gospel. And that's, that's, that's a little bit unique as far as church services go, because usually it's, it's one person up here, or maybe some singers or, or whatever, but generally it's not the whole church joining together at the same time to proclaim that we believe the gospel. And so at this point, the person beside you gets to, to know, do you believe this? Are you willing to, to share it? It's, it's kind of a another type of baptism. So you're, you're baptized, you proclaim the gospel publicly, and now after you're baptized, you come together constantly to proclaim the gospel, proclaim that you believe in the death and the coming of Christ. John Piper said this, he said, the Lord's Supper is not a secret cultic ritual with magical powers done in dark rooms with blood and bread and eating a person. Now that, that's, he said that because back in the early church, there was a charge against the church that they were cannibalistic. And a lot of people thought, and so the church had to actually defend against the fact that they weren't actually eating people, that this was symbolic, and it was just bread and fruit of the vine. And so he says, it's a public act of worship with a public meaning of which there is nothing to be ashamed. We proclaim the Lord's death. The note to be struck is not privacy, but proclamation. And can I tell you this? If we've gathered together tonight, and part of what we're doing as we remember and as we examine, is to now proclaim to the world what we believe, it shouldn't end here. It can't end here. We can't just think that it's okay for us to proclaim the gospel in these walls where it's safe and then, and then change how we live and what we think and, and our attitude toward the gospel when we leave this place. If we proclaim it here, proclaim it wherever you go tomorrow. We all go to different places and there's so many people that, that we will never reach, Right? In fact, you have a greater opportunity to reach the world around you than than anyone else. God has put you in that place. So take the attitude of thanksgiving and remembrance and proclamation 
and bring it to work tomorrow. Bring it to, to wherever you are tomorrow. We ought to proclaim. As we think about the early church, and even as we think about the church in, in the Middle East and in the, throughout the world where there's persecution, they were willing to risk it all to meet together for a service like this. And in some ways, it's almost sad that we are never forced to sacrifice anything. What we do tonight, it's, it's important. It is remembering the sacrifice that was made for us. It's proclaiming the gospel. And now we must be willing to, to make whatever sacrifice it is that God has called us to, to proclaim it outside of these walls. This is a wonderful time in our church. It's a time that I always look forward to. And it's a time that I look forward to because I feel like it's, it's the time where the church is most unified. Because what we do now is we look at the cross. And so I, I urge you over the next few moments to think about the cross, to think about what it means for you, and to thank Christ afresh for what he's done for you. This time I'll ask the men to come forward, to join me at the front, and we will prepare to serve the elements.